Well, welcome in. I'm Dan Edwards. Thank you so much for downloading my Dayton-centric podcast, A Greater Dayton, where I highlight our unsung hometown heroes who inspire, entertain, and inform. Now, this is the first podcast of 2024 for me. I've been a bit busy lately. I took on a new job, and I'm now telling great stories about the clerk of court's office in Montgomery County, Ohio, for a good friend of mine, Mike Foley. And you're saying, what does the clerk of court's do? Well, follow us on Facebook, X, and LinkedIn, and to find out more. You know, Mike Foley and uh, Steve Harshman, who is the uh, chief of staff there, if you will, have assembled a kind, caring, and compassionate staff that really wants to help you get your title, your passport, TSA pre-check as quickly as possible, and so many other services. No, Mike isn't paying me to say all this. I, I just believe strongly in what Mike is doing for our county and, and something uh, I believe is worth supporting. All right, enough of the housekeeping here. On this episode of A Greater Dayton with Dan Edwards, episode 106, an inspirational story about a young lady who was captured held and tortured, but lived to tell about it. How did she manage to escape her captor? And what did yoga have to do with her survival? A visit with Ronjani Powers, when A Greater Dayton continues. A Greater Dayton is powered by the Dayton Business Journal, reliable, timely, and many times exclusive reporting of the Dayton Business Journal hardworking reporters uncovering business stories that can benefit your business or career, making the business atmosphere better here in the Dayton region, in my opinion. That is the Dayton Business Journal. Welcome back to A Greater Dayton, episode 106. And as mentioned, we are recording this podcast January of 2024. Now, of course, the first of the year, everyone is looking for a new you in the new year, lose weight, quit smoking, you know, just generally trying to be a better version of ourselves mentally, physically, and spiritually. So episode 106, let's talk yoga and the stress-relieving benefits associated with one of the oldest practices known to mankind. More importantly, how those principles saved the life of my guest, Ronjani Powers. Welcome to A Greater Date, Ronjani. Thank you for having me. Let's just begin with where did your love for yoga originate? Well, it goes back to when I was a child and didn't have any concept of what yoga was. I would um, sit and do uh, yoga poses without knowing what they were. Mm -hmm. Um, I would sit quietly i would go to my closet and sit quietly for hours not knowing that that was a form of meditation mm-hmm. um and even another component of yoga that i brought forth very early in my life was i became a vegetarian when i was 5 i decided that um i can remember it very vividly actually i was i had pm kindergarten and i was sitting at the table and mom had made food before I went to school that day and my dad was there. Um, and my dad had the tendency to be very violent at times in my life. And he had, um, mom had put the food out and I said, I'm not eating this. And he said, well, you're going to eat it or you're not going to school today. And I said, well, then I won't go to school. And that was a big thing because I love school. School was this it was just a, a beautiful thing for me to attend school. I loved it from day one. Um, and knowing by saying, 
I'm not going to eat and I'm not fine. And I won't stay, I won't go to school today. There was the possibility that that would come with a beating of some sort. Mm. Um, but for some reason, there was no beating and neither my mother or my father ever questioned me about becoming a vegetarian. In my child mind, there was this questioning of how can I eat an animal when I love an animal? So there was this confusion. And it's, yeah. And luckily enough, that was one thing that I challenged my dad on and never met the resistance from it. Well, you told me you now live, eat, and breathe yoga. Because yoga is a way of life. It is 100% um, the way I live. It is a lifestyle. You can do, there are other forms of yoga and I like to say personally that the U.S. has bastardized yoga. We've taken over and we've made it about the yoga butt um, and the taking some sort of shape and putting the shape on Instagram or Facebook. But yoga is so much more than that. Mm -hmm. It is a way of life. Um, and that, so, you know, by becoming a vegetarian and ve vegan, it actually... I mean, there were things that you learn early on that you have to stick to. You can't back away from. And that is part of my yoga practice. You know, what I believe in. I heard many, many years ago, um, someone said to me, I don't want to do anything today that's going to take away from tomorrow's happiness. So for me, tomorrow's happiness is waking up feeling energetic waking up feeling like I can take my day on, waking up feeling like I can do what needs to be done that day. Although I find yoga interesting, your story, your backstory, I find much more interesting, particularly how you traveled all over the world to find your inner self through yoga. Mm -hmm. I was actually teaching school and I was working in a, a crisis stabilization unit. No and stress there. Exactly. Um. <laughs> And that's when I really started to understand that stress can kill. I had um, no one actually even, I'm sure today, knows exactly what I had. I believe it was all stress-related. Mm -hmm. I got really sick. Um, I lost a lot of weight. I had a fever that they couldn't break. Um, Where was the stress coming? The stress was coming from... Being in the life that I was living, I was I was going back to school. I was working with these kids, kids that I had no idea that they were really out there. Um, one of the kids on our unit, her mother had sold her to truck drivers for drug money. Another one of our children on the unit had murdered his little sister because he felt his mom wasn't giving him enough attention. Uh, so there was a lot of stress there, mm -hmm. but it was also this, at this point, I felt like I was looking for something, but I didn't know what I was looking for. As a child, you were like that, you mentioned to me. Mm -hmm. You were always trying to find who you were, your inner self. Right? Mm -hmm. Very much so. And I grew up thinking that I wanted to be a teacher. That was... My my mother and I were just talking about this the other day. I had uh, one of my favorite gifts as a child was a chalkboard. And I would come home from school every day and play school for hours. Um, or I would, my bedroom door became another chalkboard. So, you know, hours were spent playing school 
And I thought from probably the time I was about three years old that I wanted to be a teacher. So I go to school. I become a teacher. I'm, you know, first I was working in with the regular kids, you know, the kids that are, they're going to make it. And I wasn't happy. It was like, wait, this, maybe I need to go work with special needs kids. So then I started working with special needs children. And once again, there, I felt like something's missing. Something is missing. Something's missing. I'm, and these kids, you know, obviously they were very high stress. I mean, the, it was an incredibly intense environment all the time. You didn't know what you were walking into oh, yeah. daily. You know, if there was going to be kids going off at each other, throwing chairs, you just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, so then I got sick, got really sick. And one of the guys that I worked with, he had been practicing yoga with his wife for years. And he said, I think you need to do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm, I had been off work for like two weeks and I'm thinking, you know what? I'll try anything. Yeah. I will try anything. And I did some of the physical poses that he had been recommending. And I was like, Oh man, my body feels so good doing so you this. Were it was, yeah, it was going back to when I was a child, you know, on the ground stretching and doing these things. It was like, Oh, whoa, this is incredible. That's and cool. I knew that I needed that was something I needed more in my life. I started noticing how well I was feeling and how different I was just in life, right? How I was handling stress differently just by moving my body. Um, And I had a really great principal at the time and I talked to her about it and I said, can we do something with the kids? Can we, we have six girls on the unit, six boys on the unit. Can we do something that gives them? So she thought of, and we got it, gave them a gym credit. So I would teach the girls yoga on Monday, Wednesday, Friday of one week, the boys Tuesday, Thursday, and then switch it the next week. And they were getting a gym credit. Then what I started to notice was that there, the days that they had yoga, there was less acting out. Hmm. It was like, Oh, wait, there's something. It's not just me that this is working for. Educators listening in the audience, maybe something you might want to consider because you had uh, back to the stress part of it. And that's why I really wanted you to be on this podcast, Rajani, is because that stress is what we deal with each and every day, all of us. And it impacts every facet of our life. And you had a quote that I found very interesting. You said, humans are like diamonds, must endure heat and pressure and the time it takes to become a jewel. And that is so true. We are... If I'm never, if there's no friction in my life, I never get to see who I am and the potential I have and the radiance that I have within me. Um, if we think about a tornado or a hurricane, if you think of the eye of the storm, that that is where the birds and the insects go. In the eye of the storm, that's where the calm is. In the eye of the storm for myself, my mind can be all over the place, creating all kinds of tension and creating all kinds of stories and creating all kinds of chaos. But there's one part of me that never changes. And that is the soul. The soul is absolute. The soul is complete. The soul 
doesn't ride waves of turmoil. The soul stays constant. So if I can bring myself into that place of stillness within, because we all have it, we all have that place of stillness inside of us. So if I can bring myself to that place of stillness, when there's a storm, if I can go into the eye of the storm, then I, I see who I am. Yeah. You had another quote that I liked. It says, the universe has always given you what you needed, to your point. Yes. Always gives us everything that we need. It may not be what we want, but it is always what we need. Mm -hmm. It is always what we need. So once again, once I weather the storm and I get to the other side and I stand back and I'm like, oh, man. I'm stronger than I thought I was. I handled this. I maneuvered through this. I got through this. So fast forward, I was teaching school. Um, I actually left the locked unit and went to teach in a mainstream unit. Um, and it was a, probably towards the end of the year, I thought, this isn't what I want. This is not what I want. I need... I need yoga. So I filled out this application and that was my first foray into the more than just the physical. I went, um, I left my teaching position and left at the end of the year to go to Virginia and lived at, and lived at my first ashram. You quit your job. I did. <laughs> the universe better, better give you what you need here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the universe, once again, you know, I may want a house, but what if the universe says, no, <laughs> you need to stay in a dorm. <laughs> What'd you do? That's where you did your traveling and all that. Well, so then I went there and I um, lived there. I lived there lived I, at the ashram in Virginia um, with Swami Satchidananda, who was in his body at the time. And... Wait, wait, wait. What did you just say? He was in his body? What yes. Said? What does that mean? He was still alive. Okay. <laughs> so I'm still alive. Yes, yes. Um, and I did my teacher's training there. And I was actually, after staying there for a period of time and going through the teacher's training, I thought, this is it. So during the teacher's training, you have to, part of the thing is you have to start teaching yoga classes. And the first yoga class that, that I taught to my group in training, I had this feeling like, oh my God, the very first class, it just felt so known to me that everything else in my life was going to follow that, however that worked. So you found that inner piece that you were looking for, that inner person, that, that little girl is coming out now, or what? I found what I was supposed to do, right. and that was to teach yoga. And when I first got there, they're, you know, they're, they're talking about things like the, the Bhagavad Gita and the Ramayana. And then I was, um, I was actually asked to um, stay and help with the teacher training program. And I thought, yeah, this is, of course, this is exactly. And I had plans to, to do that. And the, the teacher there, Swami Satchidananda, um, he told me in no uncertain terms, you're not mine, you can't stay here. And that, I, I felt about that many times later on, here was this person willing and able to, you know, very willing to work, very willing to do what I thought I was supposed to do. Um, 
But he said, no, you are not supposed to be here. You're you're not mine. So he was shoving you out of the nest. He certainly did shove me out of the nest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when I got back, so I thought, well, okay, I guess I'm not going to stay here. So I guess I'll head back to Dayton. Um, came back to Dayton. And at that point, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to start teaching yoga, but not sure where or how to do this. And the universe stepped forward. Mm. I met, I was living in Germantown. There's that universe again. Yes. <laughs> and the timing of the universe is always impeccable. Um, and I started talking to this lady that she was living in Germantown. And she said, hey, have you ever talked to this guy? And I said, no. She said, well, I think he's looking for someone to teach him some yoga classes. And in turn, he could give you some free advertising with the magazine that he that he publishes. So I reached out to him and he said, yeah, let's barter. Let's do this. And then I fessed up to him. I said, well, I have to tell you that you'll be the first person I've ever really taught a class to. So if you don't want to barter, I totally understand. He was just a really fabulous guy. He, you know, he, I would come in to, to do the yoga class and there would be times he'd say, Hey, why don't you read this book and review it and, you know, write a little blurb about it and we'll put it in the magazine as just some little extra. And I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. great. Then I came in one night and he handed me living with the Himalayan masters and I opened it up and looked at it, and inside the book was this man who had visited me since I was a child, and I was pretty floored, to say the least. Dreams, (laughs) in dreams, very, very vivid dreams. Yeah, it was like, whoa, this is Mm -hmm. the man that I have come to. There were as a period of time in my life that, um, when I was a child, I can every night he would be there visiting me in my dreams, watching me from across the street or whatever it was. He, um, There is a part in the book called um, Valley of Flowers. And as a child, I went to the Valley of Flowers with him. And I remember this dream so vividly as an adult. I'm in my 50s. This dream was when I was seven, eight years old. Um, this so the flowers were amazing. They were I, the color I probably remember the most in the dream were these yellow flowers that were just incredible. So now I'm reading the book, I'm going through it and I'm seeing the Valley of Flowers. I'm hearing about it and I'm like, oh, whoa, this is, this is my dream. Real. Mm-hmm. Very real. Um, then it started making more sense to me why I was moved out by why Swami Satchitananda sent me packing, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. And then it was a few months later when Swami Satchitananda came out. They were this, it's elephant grass. So imagine corn. And he was holding hands with Swami Rama and he put my hand in Swami Rama's hand and he said, You wow. are his. Wow. You belong to him. Wow. What did that feel like? I mean, what? Where were you in your inner peace journey there? Um, I wasn't sure what I knew that there was. I knew that there was definitely uh, mm-hmm. this is Something. this is this person. I recognized him. I knew him. But what it meant for me in the future, I wasn't sure right. what that meant. But I knew that to sound cliche, I knew that I was home. 
you know, he'd put all these things in there. And then he contacted a couple of other places. He contacted um, St. Elizabeth, which is where I started teaching yoga at the hospital. Um, and he did this all on his own. So here I am, I'm just bartering classes, you mm-hmm. know, and he's reaching out to people. And then he contacted, there was a place in um, Tip City, and Harmony Farm was the name of it at the time. And I, he said, I think you should teach there. I've contacted the owner. Let's, you know, let's see what happens. So I started teaching there. And Donna, one of the ladies that was taking classes, we started, we became friends and we started talking after class. And she said, I want you to start teaching classes to my grandson, Dylan, who has cancer, Mm -hmm. um, leukemia. And I said, yeah, of course. So I started going to her house to do privates with her grandson and just teaching him breathing techniques, that sort of thing. Um, And then she told me one day, she said, you need to have your own yoga space. And I said, yeah, I will. When the time comes, she reached out to me again and said, well, I've contacted my real estate agent and we have something that you should look at. Mm. And it was in Tip City. And the rent at that time was $500. And I remember I was coming from teaching at the hospital and I, um, was going to look at the place and I pulled into, I don't even know if it's still there. It was the IGA in Tip City. I think it's called Schmeels or was Schmeels or something like that. And I pulled it in and I said, okay, universe, I can't afford $500 plus everything else in my life. So if I'm supposed to teach yoga, this place has to drop to $350 a month. And the lady who owned the building that I was renting it from called me later that night, left a message actually on my phone um, and said, Hey, I was thinking about the rent. It's a little too high. So I'm going to lower it to 350. <laughs> and I said, okay, universe, well, I'll be course. teaching. <laughs> oh, well, talk about walking the walk and the faith though. You know, mm-hmm. Is the universe God? So you can call the universe whatever you want. Mm-hmm. God, you can it there's something bigger mm-hmm. than us outside of us, but in yoga um it is you have to have that faith that I like to say God answers all prayers, but sometimes he answers or she answers with a resounding no. But all prayers are answered, right? Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes it may not be the way that we want them. In yoga it's about having a relationship with your inner dweller, your soul, your Atman, um, because the kingdom of God is within. Three years into this studio, and you mm-hmm. called, what did you call it again? Down Dog Yoga. Pose. Down Dog Yoga. Okay. <laughs> I can see that t-shirt. <laughs> I actually had some. <laughs> the, but the yoga studio is going well, mm-hmm. and you meet a guy. I Yes. <laughs> so walk us into what the universe brought to you with this creature. So I was teaching yoga. Everything was going great. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually um, had left to do, they were doing a, a New Year's Eve a retreat. And I went there to, because I need it more. I knew that this had been Swami Rama's place. So I wanted to go and be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I go there and... This guy is there, and I'm thinking every we start passing by each other all the time, you know, and we start I smile at him, and I'm thinking, okay, on the last day, I'm gonna say, hey, you know, it was nice 
seeing you here, you know, what do you say? Because I'm not here to like hook up with someone, but it was nice just seeing you. Um, And I thought, well, I could say, oh, you have nice energy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyway, so he did. (laughs) He did. He did. Yeah. And then um, so we ended up actually talking the last night of the retreat and we talked all the way into the morning. Mm -hmm. um, And at that point, I knew that there was something that was going to evolve from that. And it did. We, um, I actually quit. I closed down down dog yoga and I moved to the ashram and he followed after, um, after a while I had been there for quite a while. And then he came and then we, um, actually we left the ashram. We came back to Dayton, and we opened up a place in Dayton called Shakti Yoga. Um, but once again, there was something that just didn't seem, we, there was something missing, something more that. In that relationship? Um, yeah, but that happened later on. <laughs> um, there was, I, we, we ended up closing Down Dog and that's when we moved to Asia. And that's when um, I lived in Asia and that's when I really had the opportunity to dive into my yoga practice. That's when I would wake up in the morning and just spend, because I had more tools. I had meditation now that I I understood more clearly. I had my pranayama, my breathing practices. I had the physical part. Um, He was working at the university and I had pretty much all day to do my practice. And that became, as I look back, that was a really beautiful time for me to have all of that. Singapore, which was the home base, was a really hard place for me to live in. Is It's about 100% humidity every day. It's, um, they think a cold front's coming through when it gets 85 degrees kind of thing. Um, it's very materialistic very materialistic and that's that there were parts of it that did not mesh with me but i had my practice every day and it was just this really incredible time but then the universe threw your curveball yes so i actually um left singapore um and I came back to, my father had died. I came back for a while. I stayed with my mom to help my mom just get reorganized after dad died. And then I ended up um, on a whim. I went to Fairfield, Iowa for a weekend. And that is where the TM movement is has a pretty big stronghold, Transcendental Meditation, the Beatles. Uh, and I went there, like I said, I went on Friday I in the the local newspaper there, there was an ad that said, Dear Universe, we're looking for someone who is fun and charming and who can learn things quickly. And they were looking for someone to run an apothecary. That could be me. So I applied and I the owner called me in for an interview and I knew nothing about herbs at that point. Um, but something with the owner and myself really gelled and she offered me a job. So that afternoon, I was walking around downtown Fairfield, and I found this really cute apartment. And I said, I called the owner, and I said, hey, you know, would you have time to show me through? And she said, well, it's open. You can just walk through if you want. 
I'm like, okay. So I walked through and I called her back and I said, I think this place will be great. Here's the deal. I was just offered this job. I have to go back to Ohio, pack my stuff. Would it be okay? You know, I can send you a check, however you want to do it. I can give you a credit card. I don't have that cash with me right now. She said, oh, I trust you. Just give it to me when you get back. So then I moved to Fairfield, Iowa for a few years. Was thinking that I would probably end up staying in Fairfield, the universe thought differently and thought it was time for me to return to Dayton. It's funny. Every time I think I'm out of Dayton, I come back. (laughs) And in Dayton is where I actually ended up opening um, Yoga Ecstasy. And fast forward with Yoga Ecstasy, um, I had started dating a guy um, and he was an alcoholic. He may still be. I don't know. I have no contact with him. And we were in a relationship. And he had quit drinking for a couple years while we were in this relationship. And then he started drinking again. And I would question him and he would become very belligerent with lying. No, I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. Um, and finally, I had it just it probably started really bad in January and by March 31st, I was finished and he had come over. He was uh, in the basement. I knew he was drinking and it was uh, the night before Easter and I was upstairs and I was baking some banana bread to take to my sister's house the next day for Um, Easter dinner with the family. And he had been coming up periodically and just being really an animated, um, trying to out talk me, trying to do, um, show how he would just like, he knew everything kind of thing. Um, And it was about 10 o'clock. He went downstairs, 10 o'clock. I typically go to bed and I went downstairs and I basically was declaring that this is not the relationship I signed on for. We're done. Then I proceeded to look where alcohol would be hidden. And I had at that particular house, there was a coal cellar in the back corner. And I suspected that there was alcohol in there. So I... Okay, let me get a drink. So I went into the coal cellar and he came behind me. He picked me up, threw me into the corner of the coal cellar. As I slid down the wall, I peed on myself. Um, and he went out and locked the door from the outside. So the coal cellar was a cement room, cement bottom, no windows, cement walls. And it was underneath my porch, which was also cement. Uh, and it was about an eight by eight room with one door in. When he went out, he locked that door from the outside. Uh, he then proceeded to get uh, pieces of wood 
so that he screwed eight pieces of wood, like planks, um, into the frame of the door. And for the next 10 hours, uh, he pretty much tortured me. He cut the lights from the outside. So now I'm sitting in complete blackness. Um, my pants are wet because I peed on myself. The floor is damp because we had had quite a bit of rain during that period of time. So I was sitting on the floor. Um, there was a, a clothing rack, so to speak, that I tried to use as a battering ram to, to bash myself out. And anything that I did like that infuriated him. And I learned very quickly not to make him angry. Um, there was a very thin opening at the bottom because it was a very heavy wooden door, a very thin opening at the bottom. And he was um, spraying chemicals underneath there and telling me the multitude of ways that he could kill me and make it look like an accident. Um, and then he would play music very loud. I, I don't really listen to music. Um, my house is always pretty quiet. There's never like a TV going or anything like that, but he would play these boots are made for walking and he would just put it on repeat and have it going for a while. He would come in and ask questions. Um, and I learned during that period of time how to answer them in ways that would not increase his anger. Um, I learned to, to say to him during this 10 hours that it was all my fault um, because he would ask, do you know why you're in here? Um, and at first you try to explain to him, well, you put me in here. And that was not, you know, you learn that he put me in there as a punishment because I had been bad. And you couldn't use your cell phone, right? No, I didn't have my cell phone with me. I didn't have my cell phone with me. Well, you had was your watch. I had my watch. Yeah. I had my watch, and I... That was draining. It was draining. Right. Yeah, it was draining, and I had... I like to joke before this happened that um, it was a smart watch, but I never developed it to its full potential. So it <laughs> <None> was... <laughs> so, so you're sitting there contemplating death. Yes, I am. And, and actually, at the beginning... Um, Interestingly enough, I had growing up, I had this very, this fear of being locked in a room underneath the ground where there was no light and I couldn't get out. And now suddenly that's happening to me. Um, and I felt myself panicking. I felt myself going to, oh my God, I'm going to die down here. And, you know, every, all of those, that fear just became so big. And it was just paralyzing. Very much so. And I could feel myself, my breath change. Mm -hmm. And then it, it just flashed. And it was like, okay, you have the tools to handle this. You have the tools inside of you. You know what to do. You know what to do if you're in a stressful situation. You, you've been doing this. You've been teaching this. And then I thought to myself, I may die down here, but it's not going to be in a state of panic. It's not going to be at your hands dying. If I die, 
I die, but it's not going to be because you've created such fear and panic inside me. So at that point, I started really focusing on my breath. I started answering the questions the way that he wanted me to answer the questions. Um, in between time, I was repeating my mantra. I was really focusing. You have to have, we're in fight or flight mode or rest and relax. And I know that to get into rest or relax, guess what? I've got to get my exhalation longer than my inhalation. I have power over that. I can do that. You can't change my breath. I can do that. I have power over that. And from that moment on, I thought, okay, this isn't the way I thought I was going to die. You're in control. It was. I was. This is not the way I thought, okay, you know, this is not how I thought I was going to die. But if I die, what a great opportunity. I can die by repeating the name of God. I can die by using my breath. I can die in a state of, in a space of peace instead of panic. Mm. So if this is what's happening, I'm going to do it. Universe, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> but you were asking, God, is this how you want me to die? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was when you have this full surrender, things get easier. You can say, oh, God, I, I surrender. I let thy will be done kind of thing, right? But then when thy will isn't done the way that you want it to be done, what's happening, God? I'm such a good person. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> but when you actually surrender, everything becomes okay. Everything becomes okay. Whatever is going to happen here is going to happen. And me panicking, me screaming, me fighting it isn't going to change it. He passed out the next morning. I was very worried about the boys, uh, Rishi, Rumi, and Ravi, my, my four-legged uh, boys. <laughs> of course. And I decided I needed to know if they were still alive. Right. I had to know if they were still alive. So I knocked on the door. Um, and I could hear Joe saying, I hear you. And I could hear the three boys. They're all their individual bark. So I knew that they were okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I said to him, are you going to let me out of here? And he said, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Um, he went upstairs. He got coffee. Um, he comes towards the door. I could hear the, or I could smell the, the coffee. And he said, I'm going to let you out. He leaves. He comes back. He has his drill. Now he's unscrewing the, the boards. But he tells me, um, if you come out acting like an animal, there are repercussions. And... At that point, I'm thinking, I know how to play this game. You know, I'm not going to act out in any way. I had actually already told him, hey, this is a speed bump for us. I, I know, you know, this is a speed bump. We can get through this. It is you and I were the only ones that even know this happened. It doesn't have to go any more than this. You're good. Um, you learn. <laughs> And so he, un he does takes all the wood, the, the wood pieces off. He opens the door. And the first thing I do is I give him a hug and I say, thank you for giving me my freedom. And he says to me, I've treated you worse than any animal that I've ever had. And what you need to know is that I can continue doing this to you and you have no one big enough to stop me. I went upstairs 
I curled up in my bathroom on the floor. The three boys came in there with me. Um, and I didn't even have the strength to take a shower. I, I could smell the urine on me, but I stayed in that ball for a period of time. He left, um, and something just consumed me. I went downstairs, and when they talk about adrenaline taking over, I I don't know how I did this, but I grabbed that door and I pulled it almost completely off its hinges. It was just slightly hanging on. Um, Damn, girl. And I said to myself, you will <laughs> never fucking do this to me again. <clears throat> but here's where it takes an unbelievable turn. He filed a restraining order, a civil protection order, if you will, against you. Yes. So he came back that night. Um, I had gone to the bedroom. He had a key to the house. So there was, you know, if he was coming back, he came back. He went to the basement. I was in the bedroom upstairs with my cell phone, all three boys in there. Um, and this is one thing that I learned. Um, you always hear about women who are in domestic violence and you think, why didn't you just go to the police? Why don't you get out of that situation? What, what's your problem? And it was at that moment, you know, I, I wasn't going anywhere because of what he had said to me. I was not going to say anything. I wanted him out of my life, but I, like he said, he could continue doing this to me. So you go your way, let me go my way, and that'll be the end of it. Um, then when he came upstairs in the morning to get ready, I actually, I was standing there with the phone in my hand ready to go. And I had, um, but I had it on record too. And I said, you locked me in that room and you treated me in ways that I've never been treated. And he admitted to doing all of this. And then he left. Um, and I told him, I said, if you leave, we go our separate ways. That's it. I don't go to the police. If you come back, I'm going to the police. But what he did was he went around the corner, scratched his face, called the police and filed, um, charges against me. The next day I'm getting ready to go teach class and the police come to the door and they they ask, they, do you know? Um, and I said, I won't say his name, but you know, and I said, yes, I know him. And I said, did he turn himself in for what he did? And they said, no, we're here to arrest you. And I said, arrest me for what? And he had filed charges against me, domestic violence charges against me. Um, I then proceeded to take the police down to the room to show them what had happened. I said, I have a recording of him admitting to what he did. And they said, that doesn't matter. They did not want to hear the recording. Um, luckily, my neighbor came over. She called a friend. The friend came there um, and he was able to follow me down to county where they, they booked me. Um, but he, because he had filed domestic violence charges and they said to me, because of the OJ Simpson case, things have changed. We are taking someone to jail and the person who files first, the other person is considered the, the aggressor. 
which would have been me as the aggressor. And I said, do you realize that OJ killed his wife? So I'm not sure how this is. Um, the next day I ended up, I, I got out of jail. He had dropped charges. Um, but at that point he had filed the civil protection order, um, the, the restraining order. So my house, I can't go back to my house because he filed a civil protection order against me. So now my three boys and myself are homeless while we try to get this figured out. So he did what he did, right? He locked me in the room. He tortured me. Um, he went down to the police first. Um, suddenly I'm spending a night in jail and mm. here I am now homeless. And I wasn't sure what to do. And I had a friend and he said, you need to call Artemis. So I called Artemis and I said, this is what's happening. And they were a godsend to me. They walked with me from that point on. Anything that I had to do, they were there with me. At one point, my my caseworker was just, she's just this incredible human being. But we spent an entire day walking from the detective's office to the prosecutor to the sheriff's department because the police that when they came to my house, they basically put this in the evidence room and cited that I was lying, that I was the one who was making all this stuff up. I actually asked the police, I said, do you want to see the bruises on my arm, where, my arms where he picked me up and threw me into the wall? They didn't want to see that. Um, and it wasn't until the Artemis worker was with me and she had the recording and she called over to Artemis and she said, we're not getting anywhere and we have this recording. And so she said, play the recording for me. She played it for her and she said, okay, she used to work for the police department and she reached out to the person and she said, we've got a situation on our hands. She has bruising on her. You know, we've got some, this is, this is a legitimate case here. Um, so then we go back to Artemis and they send over two police officers to take my statement again and during the, the statement, it became this joke between um, the Artemis worker and myself that that entire day, nobody believed anything that I was saying. And when the police officer came to take my statement, he was telling me about his dog's second birthday. And my Artemis worker, she said to me, she's like, what the fuck is going on here? And I'm like, I don't know, but this is... Um, so then the... I don't know what her position was. Uh, so she reached out to um, this lady's name or this lady. I'm not sure of her position. And um, she reached out to the, interestingly enough, to the person that gave the okay to arrest me. And he said, wow, okay, you, I didn't realize that there was a videotape or a, a recording. Well, he was in office, right? And the, the police officers online are out at my house. They, you know, I guess they didn't share all that information. Um, so then they say, okay, come and talk to detective tomorrow at 11 a.m. And of course, 
the I, I'm not going to say her name because I'm you know I don't want mm-hmm. anyone from Artemis their names to be, mm-hmm. um, but so we went over there and we met with De- Detective Cluse who, um, was just incredible, was absolutely incredible, mm-hmm. and so what started out on the night before Easter, finally that Friday. I had someone who was believing me. I had someone who was listening to me. Mm-hmm. I had someone who was taking my statement and actually doing something with it. And I thought to myself, here I am, I'm white, I'm educated, and I'm getting treated like this. Mm-hmm. What about these women out there that aren't white, that aren't educated, what do they have to go through? And do they have the tenacity? Do they have the support that I garnered at Artemis? Do they even know that Artemis is there? You know, it was just this whole awareness of like, wow. And it's not even, you know, how many women and the other thing, this awareness that really hit me is that I was willing to walk away from this situation out of fear because I didn't want him coming back. I didn't want him doing anything else. How many other women stay in a relationship because of that fear? So when everything started happening, and Artemis, the they asked me a few times, are you going to go through with this? And I said, yes, I'm going through with this. I am not backing down. I will not back down from this. Because someone else, if there's this energy that stays out there, energy just shifts and changes, right? It's there. But if someone else can tap into that, and that gives someone else the strength to leave, if that, if me talking about it and sharing this makes another woman not ashamed to share and talk about it, then I will gladly go through that night a thousand times. The universe is using you right now. And I feel very strongly. I feel very strongly about sharing. It's okay. <laughs> this is tough. <clears throat> about sharing, because it was with yoga. It was with, it wasn't the physical part that got me through that night, right? It was knowing Swami Rama, who is my teacher, um, talks about in, in his books, yoga is not a religion, yoga is a science. And you you become your own scientist, right? I know that if I breathe a certain way, I'm going to act a certain way. I know that if I eat certain things, it's going to impact me a certain way. I know that if I can work with my breath, I can work with my mind, and I'm not going to be as reactionary. I'm not going to go into periods of depression, all these different things. Um, so for me, that night, not only getting through that night, but sharing with women that it's okay, you will get through this. And if you want, I can share the tools to help you get through this. This POS did serve 18 months in jail, correct? Yes. We, there was a trial. Um, and I, in yoga, we, you know, karma is karma and it comes to you. (laughs) And it's interesting because he pretty much did everything that he could to make sure that he went to prison. And by saying that, because it was his first felony, you know, he could have, 
he could have pled. He could have gotten a lighter sentence. But not only did he not plead out, you know, he did not take any offers. Um, the day of the trial, he insisted on getting on the stand and he had been drinking. He accused the detective of lying. He accused me of lying. He was belligerent on the stand. Um, so there was, in when, so you have to wait a month after um, the trial for the sentencing. And the judge said, you know, I'm, no, you have to go, you have to stay in county for this month. You're not going to be able to leave. And then the day of sentencing, the judge said to him, you absolutely have shown no remorse for what you did to Miss Powers. Um, and he gave him the maximum at that time, which was 18 months in prison. So yoga saved your life. How do we teach other women in similar situations, may not to the extreme that you experienced, but how do we give them the strength that, that you found through yoga? It starts with your breath. If you could take, if I could give advice to anyone out there, you don't have to, to come to a yoga class. You don't have to change your diet. You don't have to, you don't have to do any of that, but sit quietly five minutes a day, twice a day and watch your breath. And as you're watching the breath, work on alleviating or attenuating, reducing the sound of the breath, reducing the jerks in the breath, reducing Try to alleviate the pause. You want the inhalation and the exhalation to be seamless. You want them to flow one into the other. And we want to get out of shallow breathing. So if at some point you can't even get the exhalation longer than the inhalation, don't worry about it. Have them equal in length. Have them in. If you need a visualization, when you are inhaling from the tailbone up, exhaling from the crown down to the tailbone. And like I said, work on those four no's. After COVID, you began a nonprofit organization to use helpful yoga techniques as a way to help with mental challenges through this uh, surreal time we all are living now since the pandemic, in which we're still dealing with that and it will for many generations. So what can you share, particularly some of the younger generation who just kind of rock their world? What, what do you share with them and how can they find that inner peace that you have found? By serving selflessly. We have to get away from selfishness. Um, Swami Rama was the happiest man that I have ever known or knew of. Mm -hmm. um, and what he did, and if you look at the saints and the sages, Mother Teresa, you look at the, the people who were content with their lives, they have one thing in common, they served. They served selflessly. It wasn't serving for adoration. It was giving because we are here to help each other. And I think we've got to break it off for Joanne Houston, who is sitting here with us at the table, who has kind of, uh, you want me to cut that out? You want me to edit that? What are you talking about? She's giving me the poo-poo sign. But anyway, Joanne, thank you for connecting me with, with Rodani. Man, this has been fantastic. You're phenomenal. There's more to it than just Pilates and the, and the, and the stages and then the poses and all that. Tell me what it means to you, the spiritual part. It's really a way of life. It's not, like you said, it's not just the physical it's the spiritual and like the science of it. So to me, really yoga is practicing the spiritual more so than, than the physical. Because if you practice the spiritual, then I feel like you can do this physical. How proud are you of Ranjan? Oh, very, very. She's come a long way. So have you. Long, long way. <laughs>
Um, I do ask all of my guests on a greater date in this final question, how do we all make it a greater date? By serving. And if you are looking for ways to serve, um, I'm going to give a little plug to TYS. Four, four, we have four, four. we have tons of ways that we are, are reaching out. We do an inmate adoption twice oh, a year. Awesome. Um, we don't care what the crime is. We don't care what it is. The only thing that they have no support from the outside. Just because you are in prison, just because I was in a relationship where someone went to prison, doesn't mean that I shouldn't have compassion. Um, so we actually, we do a $500 box in June and a $500 box in December. This uh, December, we actually had enough to do two boxes for two prisoners. So that is one thing that we do. We, um, once a year, we raise money for an animal sanctuary. Um, Dogs, I'm assuming. Uh, actually, for all animals, dogs are my preference, but... <laughs> and we don't call them dogs, we call them boys, right? <laughs> boys, yes, my four-legged boys. Um, we also do kirtans, which are free to anyone. It is this call and response chanting. It comes from India. We sing together. We sing the name of God together. Um, and we've actually started, and if anyone needs any of this, um, but we do, instead of Meals on Wheels, we do Soup on Wheels. Oh, I like that. So we give yeah. a little TLC from TYS. So we bring out soup and a dessert and some bread. And if you want us to stay and chat and you need some love from us, you know, we're there. If you want us to do a little yard work for you, or if you want us to just leave it on the porch and leave, we'll do that oh, too. Oh, that's sweet. Well, Johnny Powers, you are powerful. You really are an amazing guest with an amazing story. Thank you for sharing. And I hope it serves as a, an inspiration and a motivation to everyone listening to kind of find yourself, find that inner peace, that inner happiness, and become the person you dreamed of becoming at age three, right? Like Ron Johnny? Fantastic. Yes. How does it feel much. to finally accomplish that, to, to, to feel that void? Well, now that I know more about who I am, I definitely know more about what I need to do. And the more I do, the better it feels. Fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Well, Greater Dayton is powered by the Dayton Business Journal. Grow your business, advance your career, and enhance your work life with a digital subscription to the Dayton Business Journal. Available on your smartphone and tablet, daily email updates with breaking news online, and follow them on X at DBJ News. Well, I'm Dan Edwards. As always, thank you for your interest in our podcast and also the Dayton region and those who make it a greater Dayton. I urge you to tell other like-minded people about a greater Dayton podcast. Like and share. That'd be awesome. And by the way, you can binge and listen to all 106 episodes of a greater Dayton on Spotify. Now it is time for you, my friend to go out and make it a greater Dayton.